Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director for Faith and Grief. We provide online and in-person grief support programs and hope the conversations you hear offer you some comfort and hope on your grief journey as we discuss the intersection of faith and grief. On today's episode, we'll be joined by Dean Lambert, CEO of the Love Always Project, whose mission is to encourage people to think more positively and proactively about end-of-life issues and funeral prearrangement. We're also going to speak with John LaFrant, who's CEO of the Damani Group, that focuses on supporting those who are grieving and uh, encouraging folks to find ways to connect after the death of a loved one. We're going to be talking about the project and its new launch, as well as the importance of having end-of-life discussions with loved ones before they die. Well, tell me about how the, um, the Love Always Project started and how did these two organizations get together to sort of partner and offer the resources uh, that the Love Always Project does. Um, for those who are just now listening to this episode of the podcast, uh, the Love Always Project um, is a great resource um, to talk about end-of-life discussions, pre-planning for funerals, to help um, families, uh, especially those that hopefully will have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to have these discussions and do some pre-planning around a loved one's death. Um, I think it's a great resource and we are constantly um, asking folks that, especially when they're in, they know someone's uh, got a terminal illness and they're going potentially in a short term going to die. And there's so many benefits of having these discussions uh, beforehand. Uh, so tell me a little bit, um, John and Dean, whoever wants to go first, about how you, how you got the project together. Uh, I can start with the Love Always Project. Um, so uh, the Love Always Project really is something to help us help people connect and engage together. I would love 80% of the content to be people having discussions about their experiences, asking questions and things like that, because I think people learn from each other a lot better than they learn from somebody who is a subject matter expert. And part of the barrier is, um, is that you, uh, you, you kind of trust people more if you Mm -hmm. understand that they possibly have had similar experiences and you're maybe more open to absorbing what is said and also making yourself feel like you're not alone or different or weird or whatever for feeling, thinking, or asking questions. And so the Love Always Project was started basically to engage people. It's a movement to help uh, people uh, understand that they can talk about end-of-life issues. They should talk about end-of-life issues. And by doing it, we hope that we make it a little less weird and certainly more acceptable. And the interesting thing is, is that as we were developing the project, and by no means are we at full force with the type of content we want and all the resources, we just started a couple, three months ago, and, and we're just building this, this grassroots movement. But um, we, just, we just know that the topic is always there. It's always prevalent. Either somebody has, as you said, somebody in their family with a terminal illness, they've recently been to a funeral, or, you know, their favorite drummer, Taylor Hawkins, died recently. And he and that was a real bummer. And just as I thought I was getting over it, 
and and dealing with the fact that the Foo Fighters may never play together again. They announced that they're going to do two concerts, which made me feel sad and happy again. So (laughs) there's an undercurrent of this. And so we feel like the Love Always Project can be this giant amalgamation of people coming together and sharing and talking. And for to our best ability, we'll, we'll hopefully provide them with tools to learn and understand and feel better about it. And then have resources to, okay, what happens now? I think that uh, I would like to tell me more about planning my funeral. How do I do it? Where do I go? How, you know, um, and so we'll have eventually have those resources where we give people a full 100% great experience from the onset of how do I think about it to how do I do it to I did it. I planned. So um, we started a couple months ago. I mean, 15 years ago, uh, we, we started talking about how can we engage discussions with consumers. And the, the one thing that we decided when we launched this is that we wanted the consumers to have the discussion. So let's just give them a place to play. Yeah. And that's why we have a forum on, on there now. We just launched a community forum. Uh, it's basically divided into the four topics or the first subjects that we have our blogs divided in. And people can join. We just need your email address at lovealwaysproject.org. Um, and uh, we're not going to blast you with offers and things. Uh, we'll send information as you as you wish. But the main thing is it gives you access to the community where you can post questions, uh, talk about your experiences in a safe place. We have subject matter experts who are watching the conversations all the time. And if there are people who need other you know, things like grief support. Um, that's when we turn to uh, resources that John has and uh, we provide uh, that through there. So I'll pause there. Let John have any of his other, any thoughts he has. Yeah. And, and Shelly, so good to be here with yeah. you. And, and uh, I love what we're doing with the Love Always Project and love what you're doing with faith and grief. And uh, I think there's a lot of synergies. And so hopefully your audience uh, kind of benefits from this uh, discussion. And, and yeah, the Love Always Project is, is something that I'm also deeply passionate about and, and feel incredibly blessed to be a part of. Uh, and a lot of that stems from just kind of my personal experience with loss, which we'll maybe dive into a little bit later, but lost my dad at, um, when he was 46 years old and I'm the oldest of seven kids. And, you know, we didn't have a plan in place uh, for him. He died of brain cancer. And, and, you know, I know I'm just one person, but I, over the many years that I've dialogued with folks, um, I know that I am probably more the norm. There are a lot of people that don't put their plan in place, especially as it relates to funeral uh, planning specifically. Um, and look, we're passionate about all types of end-of-life planning. It's not just funeral pre-planning, but that seems to be the one that sometimes gets a little bit of the shock value <clears throat> and is the one that we we skirt the issue. But it's it's interesting. There was a, a study that came out, you know, over a decade ago um, that kind of surveyed various, you know, consumers and, and families out there. And, and they found that eight out of 10 think it's a really good idea to pre-plan your funeral, but only three out of 10 do it. So there's a pretty big right. gap there. Yeah. And it's fascinating when we have discussions, when Dean and I talk, and I'm sure you have these conversations too, uh, Shelly, but when, when you talk about it, at first, it's like, oh, I don't want to plan my funeral. And then you talk about, well, death is inevitable. Um, and you don't want to put the emotional and financial burdens on your family. You know, you can make all your selections in advance so that when the time comes, which is hopefully a long ways away, that all they need to do is pick the time and a place. As you have that conversation, you know, the, the, the pressure goes down and people become way more comfortable with that subject matter. 
And so our hope and our effort is definitely um, to bring that, that gap uh, much closer so that more people can have this end of life discussion. Uh, and, and yeah, my, my kind of specialty and, and passion and expert that I kind of bring to the table is also our resources that we bring uh, through forgrief.com. Uh, and that is, is uh, an amazing place. And we have phenomenal collaborators. Uh, we do online webinars with national best-selling authors um, that is completely free that you can join and dialogue. Uh, we had a great discussion about kind of end-of-life finances, actually, uh, last month. And, and our guest was Gene Chatsky, who's a yeah. contributor on the Today Show. Um, and so we just feel so lucky uh, and blessed that we get to have these conversations and, and to help uh, in all those things end-of-life. But the Love Always Project is certainly um, kind of the, the heartbeat of this conversation today and something that I know Dean and I are incredibly passionate about. And we're just honored to be here to have this conversation. Yeah, well, it, I, I'm so excited to have this discussion about it because um, we are constantly, um, we see what happens on the other side. When people yeah. come to our support gatherings and our workshops, um, many times uh, much of the, the struggles in, their, in uh, folks' grief is mm-hmm. around decisions that were was made, unfortunately, at the time of death. And yeah. most people, like you said, very few people plan that. Um, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, there, there haven't been a whole lot of silver linings during the, uh, pandemic, but one that I see is that people are starting to have these discussions Mm -hmm. a little bit sooner because unfortunately they've seen what other people have had to experience and have had no plan, had no idea because for many people, they didn't expect their loved one to die when they did. Um, so I'm hopeful that, the tools that um, the Level Always Project can be really helpful. Um, I love the idea of the community. I think that's a great place to let people kind of have the dialogue, ask questions, um, kind of uh, brainstorm, uh, beehive kind of things about uh, options. Um, And also to kind of take the stigma and the, you know, the weirdness about talking about end of life. I mean, it's not something we get a lot of skills around, um, but I'm hoping that that's what the project can help people with. Well, hopefully uh, it can uh, do that. And also one of the things that we, that I'm learning as I'm going through, you know, developing this and listening to some of the chatter on, on our social pages um, is that there's all kinds of, of grief and there's all kinds of, of ends uh, uh, that people interpret as the end of their life, even though they're not uh, dying, you know, right. whether it's so, you know, we talk about life changes and divorces and and uh, moves from things, your parents leaving your childhood home. Nobody's dead, but they don't need that big home anymore where right. you grew up, you know, and um, Miranda Lambert has a song, The House That Built Me, you know, and I love that song because although I moved around a lot growing up, you know, I do tend to try and go back to where I, you know, some of these places that I, right. and you just really know, you can picture what was going on at certain times in your life that make you the person you are today. And when those things happen, they can also cause, you know, little bits of, of feelings of grief. Um, and even when people do plan their funerals in advance, you know, I was talking to John just the other day about how uh, when my wife and I first prearranged our funerals when we were oh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 
Um, it was the real, really the first time that I had done anything related to death since my mom died when she was, you know, 44. And um, when I planned my own funeral, it, it, it was many years after my mom died, but I started thinking about her. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about my uh, being, uh, my children being in the world without me for the first time. And I swear, for the first few days after I prearranged, people were asking me, hey, are you okay? I'm usually a big, loud, jovial person in the office and stuff. And they were like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Hey, Dean, are you okay? And I was like very frustrated because like, yeah, I'm fine. What's going on? But what I think what was really happening is I was a bit melancholy from going through a process and thinking of things that I had not ever thought of. And it was because you go from not talking about it, not thinking about it, not it being normal right. to all of a sudden it happening in a quick, pretty intense uh, yet satisfying conversation. And then later on, you're thinking about it. Like when a movie ends, you think about it and you're dreaming about it and you're wondering what's happened to those characters, but the movie's over, right? And so it's a very satisfying thing after you've done it, but, um, uh, you know, uh, you can still experience some, some signs of grief even after having completed something that's very satisfying and important to do. Um, and that's, those are things we hope to explore on the Love Always Project, which then in turn would get people more accustomed to, um, to talking about and thinking about end of life issues. You mentioned also, uh, Shelley, that, you know, with the pandemic and things, people, you know, really, there were some shocking family moments where people died suddenly, they couldn't see their loved ones because of quarantine and things like that. One of the things we noticed in uh, with the funeral homes uh, that that uh, we're affiliated with uh, is that, you know, they had to limit services or not have services at all. Exactly. And I, I do a lot of musical references and medical references, but you don't know what you got till it's gone. You know, this whole thing, Uh, we're seeing, um, you know, a resurgence of people very interested in planning more uh, funerals that have more memorial celebration. Right. And more things involved uh, uh, just because they don't want to miss the opportunity to have family get together for that event because they now know what it's like when you can't have those moments. And so even folks who wanted to have minimal types of things happen, you know, the people who say, oh, just cremate me and throw me on the side of the road or something right, like yeah. that. Well, there are people who say that jokingly, but only but only half jokingly. They don't right. want to fuss. But as soon as we took that away, as soon as you were unable to get together and really memorialize, I really believe that the people who are grieving after those moments are probably going to be struggling a lot differently and a lot more than folks who have are able to have those kinds of celebrations. And again, that, those are all things that if you can explore through discussions on the Love Always Project, um, you, you can be better prepared for, you know, hopefully not COVID again, but times where you can't gather and you can't have a celebration. Exactly. And and I, 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 will, I will let you know, because we work with a lot of folks who have um, uh, lost a loved one during COVID, both from COVID itself, but also during this time, because that also affected families who um, had to figure out funerals and memorials and stuff in addition to. Um, It has been a really unusual time to start a grief journey. Um, And any grief journey is weird. Um, There's, there's nothing it, it, we, we call it a grief, a state of being because there's not really a good way to describe it other than that. Um, People always ask, you know, give me the definition of grief. And I said, well, give me the definition of love. Um, It's going to be very different 
by whoever is experiencing it and whatever your relationship is with the person who's died. So there's not one way to grieve and there's not one definition. But for folks that have been through the pandemic and lost someone during this time, it's been unusual because they haven't been able to have the funerals or the memorials or going through the rituals that they might normally hold on to um, during this time. So, yeah, it's it's definitely been challenging for them. Um, added on to grief is just challenging. So, Yeah, it definitely is. You know, one thing that is interesting too, with some of our other, you know, efforts in the, in the grief space. Um, we also have a team that, um, that does a lot of dialoguing with grieving families after the death via text message. And yeah. I think we, we did over 2 million messages last year. Um, and the year before it was also a remarkable number, but to your point, the pandemic has absolutely impacted, um, people in a, in a pretty, a uh, large way from the awareness of their mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to your point, when those things are taken away, we hold them so much more precious and close to our hearts, gathering and, and having a final resting place or whatever the case may be. And I okay. think, you know, a big part of this, and this is why the Love Always Project is a nonprofit organization. And, and as Dean said, it's a movement. I, I think it's just so crucial that education um, needs to be there to help bring awareness um, to the different components that you should think through. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think of just end of life related things, it's very common for people to look at a will or a trust right. or get just insurance in place. Um, but when I look at like the two scenarios uh, that have been pretty glaringly obvious to me as it relates to funerals. You know, one was obviously my father and he was 46. And because he was so young, we, we weren't in the mindset of, um, of planning his funeral in advance. And because he was fighting brain cancer, that was kind of the opposite of exercising faith that you're going to beat cancer by planning your funeral. So we just never did it. Right. And I think in hindsight, I, I wish we would have had somebody nudge us a little bit more and said, you know, while dad is coherent, how about you just have the conversation? But it was almost this, if we talk about it, it's going to happen type of a thing. Right. Um, so anyways, no, no plan was in place. And, and uh, when we went to the, the funeral home and then had to make those selections a few days before he passed while he was in hospice, um, you know, it was so interesting. We were down in the, the casket showroom with the funeral director and, you know, he was showing us this gold lined vault and this nice mahogany uh, wood casket. And, and <clears throat> my mom and I were just so overwhelmed at the decisions that needed to be made. <clears throat> and you're at that point where you feel like dad is the greatest person that ever lived. Therefore, he needs the nicest mahogany casket and he needs the nicest gold lined vault. Right. And. I remember I I asked the funeral director if he would just uh, give my mom and I some time to have a conversation kind of without him. And I remember very specifically, my mom said, I just wish we knew what dad would have chosen. Um, And that that stood out to me in just the loudest way, because now, as I have dedicated a lot of my life's work to helping families, that that is the thing that echoes in my mind over and over and over again, um, because dad would not have chosen the gold line vaults. He would have not chosen the nicest mahogany <laughs> casket. It would have been a wood casket, but had we been able to just go and set and seen the plan and, and it would have been, here's what your dad wanted. 
we would have been 100% at peace with that. Uh, and, and we would have just known whatever he had chosen would have been just a wonderful thing. And so um, that echoed with me. So then it was interesting. You flash forward several years and then my mom's uh, mom ended up passing away and she was in her eighties um, and she had um, a policy, but it didn't have a plan attached to it. So it was, mm-hmm. it was specific for, um, for funerals, but sh- they didn't make any selections, no, no selection of what funeral home they were going to use or, or what any of those arrangements would be. And I remember my mom kept telling me over and over again, oh, we're going to be fine. We're all adults. We're going to be able to come together and plan a beautiful funeral for, for mom. Well, after they went to the funeral home for their first kind of arrangement meeting, they all left ticked at each other. And there were four siblings. And, you know, these are all very grown, mature people that have their own families. And, yep. and, and, and grandma was in her upper 80s. I mean, it was not like people weren't thinking about grandma's death. But just so fascinating that all of a sudden it was bickering and fighting about what cemetery, what funeral home they're going to use, what chapel they're going to use, um, and who's going to pay for what. And all of a sudden, all of these things started stirring up. And I told my mom, I said, so do you see it now? Do you see why it's so important that it doesn't matter what age, uh, but that we have these conversations? Because a lot of those scenarios can be avoided if the plan is in place. And I, I just, I can't put enough emphasis on that of just, there's sure financial benefit, but really the emotional benefit. This is your yes. last kind of gift that you can give to your family that, that they didn't even know that they needed. But if you can have the foresight to, to kind of have that conversation and get over the stigma and the hump uh, of, of, the topic of funerals, it's going to be a tremendous blessing to your family and it's going to go much, much smoother. So I love kind of seeing those two and being very observant of those two experiences in my life because really a lot of us now fit under that umbrella and should have that conversation, but it comes down to education. People just don't know. Well, that's just it. I'm in the sandwich generation. So I have uh, parents who are aging I yeah. have uh, young adults, at, uh, not at home, they're in college, but um, but we're having these discussions and I just visited my parents a couple of weeks ago and every time I go now, my dad reminds me where the folder is mm-hmm. um, because we've had the discussion years ago, it was about 10 years ago, and, I, and every time I go home, he's like, I just want to show you where the accordion folder is again because all the arrangements have already been made. We've talked about the songs, we've talked about where they want to be, where they want to uh, be buried, where all the different things. Um, and they've done that, uh, mainly on their own. I think my dad was an only child and when his mom passed away, it was kind of sudden. And so there was no plan. And I, my dad's a planner, uh, military as well, Dean. So you understand my dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, so he's been planning, <laughs> we joke, he's been planning, um, his funeral since he was like 10, but, um, he always reminds me where it is. And I'm so grateful for that. Cause I know, um, like you said, it's the emotions around the, the hardest part is you're in the early grief of, um, experiencing the death of your loved one. We all know that that put you become sort of in this weird fog of things and you're having to make decisions that, you know, if you had a guideline, if you had a plan, you could just hand it over and say, do this as opposed to, you know, arguing over the chapel or the song or the, you know, where the headstone's going to go or whatever it might be. Um, and there's so many other th- emotions going on, and it's just easy to point to that. 
and use that as the the place to project what's going on. But I'm grateful well, you know, that my parents have a plan. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean it's, that's tremendous. And and your 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 dad probably uh, had some idea of of his plan when he joined the Marine Corps because I know that when yeah. they're in boot camp they have to write home and say this is kind of what I want in case. So um, we got one of those letters. So, um, uh, you know, what we talk about and John, you know, I was going to, I was going to ask you the question, you know, think of the things that you could have been thinking about um, Mm -hmm. your father and things that you could have been talking about at the, instead of planning all the details of the funeral. Right. And so we always talk about how um, that you could focus on the times of the person's life, remembering the life as opposed to the details involved in the funeral and the death. And uh, it's, it's a really great way to think about it. The other issue as John brought up is, is a lot of people don't know how, so we've done a lot of research on, on pre-planners and, um, and uh, we, we every couple of years, talk to pre-planners within a month of their arrangements, funded arrangements. And our research shows that there is nobody who is unsatisfied with their decision to pre-arrange. So a month after they've done it, um, uh, they're either completely satisfied, very satisfied, or fairly well satisfied. Nobody says they're not satisfied. That's right. number one. Number two... of the people who prearranged report that they recommended it to a family member or friend. Mm -hmm. Okay. And another, a a, a little over 50% of the remaining said they plan to recommend it. Nobody said they probably won't recommend it. Right. So when, if you're a business owner, the fact that you have high satisfaction and high referability would make you go gaga. Right. (laughs) I mean, any any anybody that you would read uh, that talks about surveys and promoters or mavens, you know, all those marketing terms. It's all about satisfaction with the experience and the decision. And and if you recommend it without being prompted, then, you know, you've got promoters out there. So why doesn't everybody do it? Well, as John said, not enough people really know about it. I've been on countless uh, planes and uh, uh, in, in meetings where people asked what I did. And I said, you know, I, I work with a company that helps people plan and fund their funerals through funeral homes. And I'm the manager of this Love Always project to get people talking about end of life. And they're like, wait, whoa, back up. Plan, paying for you. Well, how do, I didn't know you could do that. They never say, why would anybody do that? Or that's a stupid thing to do. Right. Um, and uh, they, they always say, I didn't know you could do that. Even the person, a person that I know who is a business, a strategic business planner who actually came and presented some to us to help us, you know, figure out how to, how to uh, be better, be a better business. He did not know about this. He said, I just buried two of my, my, two, my two parents uh, within the last couple of years. I had no idea you could do this in advance. If I did, I would have done it. And so, so what we're trying to do is elevate the discussion from, you know, uh, the icky, you know, uh, uh, topic of death to talking about end of life in ways that, that, that are positive and productive. So how do you do it? I mean, do you just like pop the question, talk to your parents about their money and their final wishes? I mean, how do you happen? Well, we recently had a post a reel out there on, on our social media that said all of the things that are said at funerals should be said at birthdays instead. Yeah. And, and the thing is, (laughs) yeah. And you, and the thing is, is that when you get together for family gatherings or 
picnics or I don't know, you're just sitting around watching a, a show and, and or a television show with your teenage kids and your, you know, let's say it's a, a movie about life or, you know, an experience right. or something. Sure. It's a perfect time. And it's not the way I talk about it is you don't bring the topic up by focusing on death. You bring the topic up by asking questions about their life. And so at Christmas, you know, or, or, or whatever you celebrate, you'll ask your grandfather, was grandma the first person you ever dated? You know, did you guys ever break up before you got married? How was this like? What was this like? What? Because what's happening then is this tapestry of stories come up. And the more you talk about it and the older, you know, your family members get, then you can start talking about, if I, if I were to say one thing about you, grandpa, to somebody else, I know what I would say. I know how I would remember you. How do you want to be remembered? And there are lots of ways to get into the conversation without saying, you know, what, how do you want to be buried or whatever? You know, I know my dad wants to be at Arlington because he was in the Air Force for 20 something years and that's his wishes. But you know, he was in military intelligence. He was in um, he was in uh, public affairs. He's right now still at 82, working in Abilene at an Air Force base in public affairs. And um, and but I, I'm positive that's only part of how he would want to be remembered. He also has written books that he self-published and they're, they're on Amazon that talk about some passions that he has, World War II and um, taking some of what he learned in military intelligence and talking to the world. He's a, he's a writer. He's a thinker. So I, I know, you know, but it's only because we've had the discussions and we never talk about when you die. We talk about when you, as you lived. Yes, and I think that's the important part is to have those conversations now. I, th- I like the fact that you mentioned about what people say at uh, funerals should be said at birthdays because I think that's really important. But yeah, yeah, I didn't make that up, by the way. No, so. but, I, but seriously, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's important. Um, so many times things like that are held on to until the end. Yeah, and it's something are. that we need to know. And those stories of people's lives – Unless you ask the question, like you said, you know, was she the first person you dated? Well, you probably don't know that. And that makes them think about a bunch of other things and a bunch of other stories that you need to capture. And maybe you capture that through writing. Maybe you capture it through video recording, something so that you have more of that. And then besides that, let's have a discussion of what do you, what do you want at the end? Do you, do you want to mm-hmm. be at home? Do you want to be uh, cremated, do you, you know, cause some people haven't even had that discussion. Like, do we want to be right. cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to do something different? You know, like maybe that's it. I, I've been, I'm fortunate in that both my parents have a plan and my mother-in-law has a plan as well. And she loves to tell me also, <laughs> we had this discussion like 10 years ago and she's like, I already have, I've already made all the plans. So this is all that's going to happen. And so I said, great. And she's like, it's all at the funeral home. I just go there and they'll take care of it. And I'm like, great. That's wonderful. My husband, I said, that'll be great because I'll probably be the one doing things because my husband will be a mess. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same way with my, with my parents. I'm like, I know I'll probably end up being the one I was the oldest. So I'm probably the one that's going to be dealing with because my younger brother will not be dealing with that well. Mm -hmm. And not that he can't, but um, he and my dad are best friends. So it's going to be rough. I just know that. Um, But I think finding ways and having tools to have the discussion and be willing to say, you know, hey, I heard this podcast (laughs) and they were talking about uh, making pre-arrangements for your funeral. You know, I think it's something we need to talk about. You don't have to be that blunt, but 
you know, bring it up as you're talking about, like, tell us about what your first date was like. Forward the link. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's gentle hints, right? Gentle hints. I think it's important. And I'm glad you're calling it a movement because that's really what we're out here doing at grief education for is um, hopefully to get people comfortable. Um, You know, sometimes we call it a death positive conversation because um, it is something that's inevitable. Um, It it may not be something that we want to talk about, but oh my goodness, what a gift to take some of the stress, decision-making and burden off your family at the end so that they can just be grieving and not having to pick colors. And that's exactly it. And I think that that's what the voice project is so important is that it it can come in a very um, non-threatening way, right? It's, 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 it, this there's no sales pitch. There's no you got to do this by now. It can be in a very comfortable way that that people can engage on the site and the social media channels and just learn as much as they can um, about it. And it does. It sometimes takes that you know to get people to wrap their head around this big subject. It sometimes it takes that. So yeah, the other thing um, you mentioned the movement, and I I would be remiss if I didn't say that. Um, uh, we want to make sure that people understand that um, this is a very altruistic and consumer-owned thing. But we also want, as they join the movement, we want to know, we want them to know that there's a purpose. And so, uh, we have started a foundation called the Love Always Foundation, and um, we are we just had our first board meeting, and we're uh, going to be not asking our members for any money or anything. We have a funding source. And we're uh, probably our next meeting are going to talk about what kinds of things we're going to do with funds that come into the foundation. So we know that anybody who um, joins the movement uh, will help us to um, uh, basically be able to look at giving grants or supporting entities, for example, uh, I think it's important. I've been, I ride with the Patriot Guard and I do a lot of military funeral escorts. And uh, there have been a couple that I've done uh, for veterans who died at a veteran's home with no family, no plan and no remaining funds. Now, either the funeral home has to pay for the funeral or they do a crowdfunding um, or somehow the community comes together. Uh, it would be great if there was a way that we had a fund that we could promote where if there is like, uh, let's say before it gets to the funeral home, mm-hmm. that the veterans home or the veterans hospital or or a hospital that has a veteran that they know that has gone in hospice into the hospital and, and, and died and doesn't have any next of kin or resources, that they have a resource like the Love Always Foundation where they could request funds. Um, you know, there are. So many other uh, uh, groups of people who are doing, who are studying things about grief and death and helping people. How does it affect mental health long term and things? And so maybe there's some grants that we can provide. So we want the members of the Love Always Project to know that we're going to provide lots of pathways for them to get what they need, to get done what they maybe want to get done once they've decided, hey, this has really gotten me thinking. So we want to provide them all of those avenues. We also want them to know as a member of the movement that they belong to something that's also doing good for others. And so we want this. That's that's the other part of being part of a movement is what does how does society benefit? How do people benefit from this? Uh, Not just me. 
And um, uh, uh, again, we just started the foundation. We've had one organizational board meeting. We'll have another one that kind of decides, okay, how do we uh, have uh, create an endowment that can spin off uh, financial support that is related to end of life? And uh, so we put a lot of thought into it. And uh, like I said, you know, for grief, uh, the uh, John's uh, organization that uh, that he's working on for grief dot com, uh, that will probably be our you know grief support uh, resource. Um, uh, not sure how it's going to, how we're going to do it technically yet, but we do know that we get messages, uh, almost, I don't know, every week from somebody who has some kind of a question that, uh, one of our experts, who's not a grief expert can answer. And then we've been referring them to for grief.com and providing, uh, resources just on a one-to-one basis as we grow, that's going to be harder. So we have to find a more permanent solution. And then there's going to be folks that are going to say, okay, I want to buy a funeral. I think this is good. I want to do, how do I do it? And uh, we we do have a, an affiliation with a, with a national uh, a website that is actually working through putting portals on funeral homes where you can actually go and plan and fund online uh, through a funeral home of choice or or find a funeral home. So we've got to build that network. So it's all going to take time. And I'm very impatient. I want it all now. Uh, but <laughs> oh, I understand uh, that. I understand that. There's, yeah, but I think it's coming along really, really well. Yeah. And, and and I think John would agree. Uh, we've we've been on several podcasts and I've been amazed late in my career in, in helping funeral homes. I'm almost 60 now and I've been w- w- working in this space for 31 years almost. And this has opened my eyes up to a whole host of other organizations, communities, people who are doing great things for folks and have yet cracked the code on consistent national exposure enough to change people's minds and inform them. And so I've been, I feel very blessed, honored, and very excited to be part of a community where there are people like you, Shelley, and many others who are trying to get people to elevate um, uh, this conversation and help them understand mm-hmm. how they could do it and why it's important and who it's important to. Right, right. Well, I, I think this is just a great uh, project and movement to get people having the discussion, giving them the tools to be able to do it and also build community around these discussions. I think, you know, that if we can take the stigma, the fear away from having these end of life discussions, it will be, um, it'll, it'll be a cultural change, which I think we're kind of ready for. Um, I, I have, uh, Gen Z kids, so they're in college and, their generation is very comfortable talking about death, um, but they've also experienced a lot in their short lives um, where whether it's uh, mass violence, whether it's been the pandemic, it's been in their lives for a very long time. So they, they're not as afraid of talking about death as maybe older generations are. Um, and so I think it's a good timing for this. They'll love being able to go online and play, pre-plan their yeah, weddings. And the, and the not other thing, I, yeah, yeah, the other thing I'm hopeful for is as these uh, generations come through and they're more comfortable with this. Because look, you know, back in the day, you would get the headline news or you'd you'd get the newspaper twice a day, and you might hear, you know, uh, you know, a week later that some you know person of note died. Right. In your community, of course, you hear about it more often. 
But now you're hearing about almost every tragedy, every death, every war, everything as it's happened, and then the analysis of it. So I don't think people are getting desensitized. I think they're getting sensitized. And what that means, hopefully, and I, I maybe John can speak more on this, is that there was a time that funeral, they called them funeral parlors because they were, they were, they were modeled after the parlor in the home yeah. where the person was literally laid out and the family took care of that person. And exactly. guess what? They didn't go to a nursing home when they were sick. They were taken in. And many cultures still do that, right? Yes. In America, we went to pushing that away from us for so many years, right? Yeah. And, um, and now I'm really hopeful that my children and their children there'll be this change in the culture, as you said, Shelley, to begin to draw back and come back and take care of your loved ones and your family and not force it away. And it's because we understand it more, we're more comfortable with it and we want to be more involved. Yeah. So again, this is a tip of the iceberg and it's going to take a while and we just have to be patient and hopeful. Well, good. Well, I look forward to seeing where uh, uh, the love uh, always project heads. Um, and right now you can actually go straight to the website and find out the resources, join the community, um, yes, get you. information about that. And also, um, find out more about the Demani group and, uh, the resources they offer grief support and other, uh, end of life discussions. So I want to thank both of you so much for joining me today. I'm just, I'm, uh, thrilled to have this conversation. And like you said, Dean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, this is just the beginning of having uh, more. It, it's true in past generations, you know, about a hundred years ago, most people had, a, it saw death and were a part of someone's end of life in their own home. It was very close. And we have sort of separated that, made it very clinical, kept it away in different ways. And now I'm hopeful that, that people are now seeing, just like you both talked about in your own experience, having that experience of, of, having to make decisions and things, maybe we, we can have these discussions early. So the time of grief is gentler and more intentional um, and not scrambling to pick colors of caskets. And, um, and hopefully this will tool, this tool will be able to give them um, that so that they can um, grieve the loved one who's died. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate being here, Shelley. I appreciate the time and always good to see you, John. Yeah. Great yeah. to be here. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it, Shelley. Thanks for organizing it. Absolutely. Would you like to be a podcast producer? Go to faithandgrief.org slash donate and support this podcast and the work that Faith and Grief does for those who are grieving.